Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. So, um, yeah, I'm thinking flannel was a bad idea today. Um, so hopefully it looks good on the camera because, man, am I feeling pretty warm. <laughs> so, but uh, this past Monday night, um, it was a great, it was a great night. It was super rainy, like super ultra rainy. You know, it's not what I imagined that it we'd ever have in Bakersfield. Uh, so beautiful and refreshing and great until I had to drive in it. And so after men's Bible study, and shameless plug here, Monday nights at, at Lee's house at 6.30, we have a great time. Like, it, it is some phenomenal discussion if you could make it um, come out with us as we go through Genesis. Um, but after that time, Monday night, it was very rainy, and I went with my wife to go pick up Alex from work. And, and we're heading down Rosedale, and the street is blocked. Like completely blocked, and I don't know if you guys saw that, but, and so it's dark, it's rainy, and there's, I don't know, five, six cop cars, their lights are going, there's flares on the ground, uh, we have no idea what to do, like, I, I can't see anything, like, I can't, and so, you know, we slowly head over um, to the left to kind of, our thinking is we're going to turn around and just, just go a different way. And then this cop just jumps in front of us, just jumps in front of our car. What are you doing? Like, what are you guys doing? And so um, I roll down my window, <clears throat> and then he's screaming, what are you doing? Why aren't you following my directions? Why are you going this way? I told you to go that way. And so um, he's pretty mad. He's pretty mad. And so, but honestly, church, I had no idea. Like, I could, I promise you, could not see this guy. I believe that he was telling, telling me the truth. And so I said, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry. Like, I didn't see you there. We are just going on our way to down Rosedale to pick up my daughter. Um, we went this way because we're going to head back and go up Hagman, and that's, that's why we're doing this. And so... You know, he seemed to take a breath and say, okay, okay. In other words, you know, um, he forgave us for, for ignoring him. I think he realized, oh, they probably weren't ignoring me. Like, look at the situation we're in. They probably, they probably really didn't see me. And then he went on to give us exact directions, all of our next steps. This is what you're going to do next, guys, to get where you want to go. And it was great, and it worked. And so, you know, I told him, thank you. I appreciate that. Thank, thank you for doing that. And so... I mention that because this officer had authority, right? So the issue of authority, and I respect, I'm still one of those guys, I respect the authority of an officer, and he could have made a big deal. Like, we, we did something wrong. I mean, we technically ignored him. We probably could have got several tickets, but he has the authority to say, okay, no, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, you're, you're, you're forgiven, you, you, I'm not going to write you a ticket, and he also has the authority then to direct all my next actions from that moment. Here's what you're going to do next. And so he has the authority to do that. And likewise, but only you know, in a much more serious, more serious way in our text today, Jesus is going to exercise his authority 
to forgive our sins. Like he has the authority to forgive our past, forgive our sins. And he also has the authority to then go on and tell us what our next, what our next steps are going to be. And so we're going to look at this authority of Jesus, not just as a concept or something to respect, but something to submit to and embrace. Otherwise, there will be severe consequences so our sermon today is called Embracing the Authority of Jesus to Forgive Our Past and Direct Our Future. Let me pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we do come before you and your authority. I mean, we gather because you as the authority have said not to forsake the gathering of the elect. You, know, you, you have commanded us that to grow in knowledge of you and in how to serve you, that we are to do that together and encourage each other and strive on with each other, Lord to come to you, Lord. So we come before your authority today, Lord, and if there's any rebellion in our hearts this morning, may, may you just melt that away. Any darkness that prohibits us from seeing the light, Lord, of your word or of Christ, Lord, um, please remove that, that blindness from us, Lord. And so, yeah, be honored by this, by this sermon, Lord. Amen. So our passage today is going to be John chapter 8, verses 1 through 30. We're going to be looking at the authority of Jesus to forgive sins, the authority of Jesus to tell us what to do, and then the consequences of rejecting that authority. So let's start by looking at the authority of Jesus to forgive our sins. And so I'm going to read a pretty good chunk here, John 8, 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground, and as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one come to condemn you? She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. So what we have here is a woman caught in the act, right? Caught in the act, red-handed, of adultery. And yes, you probably have the question, it begs the question, well, where's the other person? Right, if she was caught in the act, and so it doesn't tell us, I mean, we can infer there's some sort of bias here, whether it be sex or money, some, some bias there because the male isn't there as well. <clears throat> so we don't know. But what we do know is good old Deuteronomy 22.22, and this is what the Pharisees are talking about. If a man is found lying with the wife of another man, both of them shall die. The man who lay with the woman and the woman, so you shall purge the evil from Israel. And so the scribes and the Pharisees are bringing this woman before Jesus to trap him, right? They are setting this trap. After all, the scribes, if you remember, they're like 
experts of the law. I mean, they are lawyers. They're going to, any technicality they can use to manipulate a situation, that, that's, what they're, that's what they're great at. And they think they have a great plan, man. They have the trap set. So why is this woman a trap? Where's the trap in this situation? Well, first, let's say Jesus has compassion on her and says, yeah, she doesn't have to be stoned. We're going to let her go free. In fact, that's what they're counting on. Well, if he does that, then Jesus is not submitting to the law of Moses. And in which case, these scribes and Pharisees are going to run and tell the Sanhedrin, right, Jesus is a heretic. He doesn't believe in Moses or the law. Or Jesus will say, yeah, she broke the law. Stone the woman. In which case, they're going to run the other direction and go tell the authorities, Jesus hates Rome. Jesus hates Caesar. Because the Jews, as a vassal nation, they don't have the authority to issue a capital punishment. So man, I mean, they are just, uh, I'm just, <laughs> oh, this is such a good trap. No way Jesus is getting out, out of this trap, right? We got him. So what, what decision, what choice does Jesus make? Well, he sides with Moses. Yes, this woman is guilty. She does deserve to be stoned. And so I'll tell you what. The only thing is, I want someone to stone her who also hasn't broken this law you guys are so concerned about. And so the scribes and Pharisees are standing around Right, stunned. I, I'd, I hope, I'd like to think convicted a little bit. And then Jesus writes something on the ground, and man, that's a whole sermon in itself. Um, short version, we have no idea. We don't know what he wrote. Um, and there's a lot of theories about that. Now, the one that I like, that I think makes the most sense, is that by writing on the ground at all, regardless of what Jesus wrote, whether it was names or sins or drew a picture, no matter what he did, they would have recalled Jeremiah 17, 13. O Lord, the hope of Israel, all who forsake you shall be ashamed. Those who depart from me shall be written in the earth because they have forsaken the Lord, the fountain of living waters. And so if you remember in last, at, at last week, at the end of chapter 7, right, where he's talking about living water. So I think there's a strong point to be made. That's possibly why he's doing that, to, re, to recall this verse. <clears throat> and so no one casts a stone, and they leave one by one. And the one person who could cast a stone, Jesus, does not, he doesn't cast a stone, and in verses 10 and 11, again, it says, Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. And so by saying he doesn't condemn her, um, that he's not holding that sin against her, and that she's forgiven her of her sins, he is saying that he has the authority to forgive sins. Like, otherwise, what does it matter? Anybody can say anything about anything ever, right? And so um, only a person, only a person who can forgive a sin against God is God. So either Jesus is crazy or he's God. For instance, you can't ask your mailman to forgive your debt to the IRS, right? It doesn't make sense. And, you know, and if he says he can, well, then you have a lying mailman, Right? Or he just thinks he's crazy. You have a crazy mailman. He can't do that. And so you must forget forgiveness through the party that, that you've offended. You know, which is the gospel, right? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. Like, 
he is the authority which we've offended with our sin, you know, our cosmic treason against God, and he's also the authority, has the authority to forgive our sins if we embrace that authority, right? When we're asking Jesus to forgive our sins, we are making a declaration. Yes, you can do that. Yes, you absolutely have the authority to forgive sins. And so he can dispense this freedom which he's already purchased. He only asks that you believe in that authority, right? Believe in that authority that he has. And so Jesus is willing, right? That's what I love about this verse, is it says Jesus is willing, right? Because he has all the authority here, and he, he is willing to say, neither do I condemn you. So whether you've been caught in the act of sin, or maybe right now you're like, I am just getting away with crazy sin right now, you're not Right? But if you confess it, Jesus, he, he will not condemn you. Just you got to own it, right? You got to confess it. You got to embrace it. And so the question is, why wouldn't somebody embrace that authority? Why wouldn't you embrace that authority? Well, for many, it's not the authority to forgive sins. That's the problem. It's then if you acknowledge that authority, you're acknowledging the authority of God to then also tell you what to do. And that's the, the part that a lot of people don't like and they don't embrace. <clears throat> you know, we see Jesus has the authority to direct our future. So let's read verses 11 through 20. She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So the Pharisee said to him, You are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, Even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, because I know where I come from and where I am going, but you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true. For it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law it is written that the testimony of two people is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me. They said to him, therefore, where is your father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple. But no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. And so what we see here is right after forgiveness, right after exercising the authority to forgive, he then exercises the authority to say, go, go this direction, and then also your actions, sin no more. And so he deals with her past and then commands her future. Not that he can't deal with her future sins because she's going to commit sins, and if she has faith, they will be forgiven. But he's not going to give her a license to sin because he's forgiving. He's giving her a command in light of the fact that he is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. And have no doubt about it, this is a declaration that he is God. Right? Jesus here, he's saying that he is God. This is the second I am saying, right? You remember in chapter 6, he says, I am the bread of life. You know, also the same in this context, as, as in all of these I am sayings, in the Greek, ego eimi, or eimi, you know, it means I am, I am. Like, I am God, 
<laughs> I am the light. So there's, there, he's not being vague about this. This is also one of t- 22 times that, that John mentions that Jesus is the light of the world. I mean, th- this is a very important title, you know, to John to communicate. Also, you know, notice, you probably noticed that Jesus seven times in this passage mentions that he's God, that he's from heaven. I come from heaven. I'm going to heaven. My father's God. And so th- there's no reason to misunderstand what is happening here. He's declaring that he is God. Now, this takes place after the Feast of Booths and in the treasury, right? Um, Why mention that, right? It's not the way the Bible works, like, oh, this is always where they are. This is when this takes place. We have to ask, why tell us this this interesting, this fact? And so, uh, much like last week where we learned about the Feast of Booths, which took place during the day, it was crazy, it was awesome, it all pointed to Jesus as, as the living water, but we didn't talk about what happened at night during the feast. So at night, um, it's a party also. You know, the party at night called illumination of the temple. And so in this area where it says Jesus is talking, like this exact area, there was four giant pillars or candles, uh, candelabra, whatever you want to call them, four huge candles or, or, or like torches that were lit starting at the beginning of the feast, and they would light them every night because it would point to God's Shekinah glory. The people there in their booze would remember in the Old Testament God taking them through the wilderness at night by a fire, by this great light. They knew God was with them, and so that's why they did that. So why mention that the feast is over? Well, because the last day of the feast, they don't light the candles, right? They don't light these torches. So it's here in this moment, in this exact place, now that the light is gone, that Jesus says, I am the light of the world. How awesome is that? I'm the one those torches point to. I was the one who led Israel, and now I'm going to lead the world. That is what's happening right now. And this marks the third time, just in the last three chapters, that Jesus ties himself back to the Old Testament, to God's provision and leadership over Israel, right? With the manna from heaven and his making bread. He is the bread of life with the rock coming from the water and the feast of booths. And Jesus saying, like, you're going to have living water flowing out of you. And now, just like the Shekinah glory and then the festival with the torches, now he is the light of the world. So he's tied all of this festival, all of this leadership, the ability and authority to direct his people to himself. Now, who doesn't love the light? Cue the Pharisees, right? Oh, they're coming, they're coming. So they come back and they confront Jesus, trying to make it a legal issue. Who's your witness? Jesus, who's your witness, right? You have to have two witnesses and it's really a silly question, and Jesus is being very fair about it. I mean, it's the law of Moses. You know, Jesus is the one who said you had to have a witness, but he's also saying, like, what humans have been to heaven? Like, who do you want me to call? Like, the only one in heaven is God. So, yes, my father is my witness. But you don't even know him, so you're not going to respect my witness anyway. You should. You guys should absolutely know who my witness is, but, but you don't. Again, it's a silly question, asking a light for witness. The light. We know when a light is on, right? When a light is on. Who asks if the light is on? 
Like the, a light does not need a witness. It's either on or it's not. And so if you don't know the light is presence, man, you must be in some serious darkness, right? How, how much darkness do you have to be in to not, to not recognize this light? Not only that, light is the one thing that doesn't need a witness. It's actually everything else needs light to be witnessed, right? And so it's a silly question. It's a silly question. But here we have Jesus, the light of the world, just highlighting everything, including, including you know, sin. Now, the difference between Jesus and, say, the Pharisees and scribes is Jesus calls out your sin. Jesus wants to catch you in the act. Right? Jesus isn't saying he's not going to catch you in sin or call you out on your sin. But he's saying, I am the light. I'm going to expose your sin. Believe me, you come to me, sin exposed. But his aim isn't to shame you, right? It's not disgrace, but to lead you to his grace. It's like my light exposes your sin. Come to the light for forgiveness. Not it's exposed. You need to be stoned, right? Jesus wants you to flee the sins of your past and follow him as the light of the world. He has that authority. He wants to be that light in your life, just like he was to Israel. Lead you through the darkness. Lead you through the darkness of the li- this life, the, w- the wilderness of this life. It's very discouraging, right? It- it's very difficult, and he wants to be the light that guides us through this. It's by the light of Jesus that we distinguish between holiness you know, and sin, right? We need that light to see, to see the difference. It's by the light, his light, that, that we're not scared of darkness, right? We see this darkness around us, but, but we know what's happening. Everything is exposed to us. And so we don't get our feathers ruffled every time there's a cultural calamity, right? Because we have the light, we see through all the darkness. We see all this chaos, all this stuff that doesn't make sense. Well, we know what's happening. They're suppressing the truth and they love darkness, right? According to, to John 3. We know what's happening. They love darkness. They're... they're that's all that's happening. And we love the light and we see that. And in the light of Jesus, we literally have a light at the end of the tunnel. Like literally, right? We have this whole age to come where we get to be with the light himself. He will set everything right and there will be no more darkness. There will be no more darkness and we have that hope. And also following Jesus as the light of the world is the only way this world is going to make sense. Everything else in this world is a contradiction. Everything else in this world contradicts itself. Now, that's why I love the light of Jesus. It just makes sense. It's the only thing that makes sense. And yet, not everybody is going to follow this light or submit to the authority of God. We know this. And our last big chunk of Scripture, verses 21 through 30. So he said to them again, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says, where I am going, you cannot come? And he said to them, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins For unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you 
and much to judge. But he who sent me is true, and I declare to the world that I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I am always doing the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Now, <clears throat> this is definitely one of those passages where these last 10 verses, I mean, we read them and we reread them. And you say, like, what? What, what is this about? Like, it sounds like they're playing hide and seek. Um, now there's suicide involved. Like, what is actually taking place? I think it's kind of a, a, a difficult uh, passage here. Now, the one thing I, I, I'm pretty certain you, you've inferred that correctly about is the fact that, that Jesus is saying, like, when he says, I'm from above, you know, he's talking about heaven, right? Where I'm going, he's going to heaven. Like, that's the easy part um, for us, not, not, for, not for the Pharisees and the scribes. <clears throat> but um, they have no idea what he's talking about. And so at this point, man, it gets nasty. This is what's happening. Like, they're not pretending anymore. They're not pretending to be righteous, right? They're, it's not like a legal argument they're making anymore. Like, oh, we're going to, we have this law we're going to push back on you with. They are outright insulting him. At this point, they are insulting him. And so when they say, you know, will he kill himself? They are referencing the fact that among the Jews at that time, if you committed suicide, the belief was you ended up at the bottom of hell. Like that is the worst possible thing you can do with suicide. You end up in the deepest, darkest place in hell. And so what they are saying is, look, dude, the only place you can go that we can is to hell. Goodness gracious. And you can just imagine their laughter and smug faces after this statement. You hear what I said? That was a good one, right? I told them to go to hell. <clears throat> but it's no joke. Like, it is no joke. Like, listen to what Jesus is trying to tell them as they're joking about this. And they don't see it. He says that you, you will die in your sins and you will seek me. You will die in your sins and you will seek me. In that order. And so he's talking about a specific moment. Like Jesus is warning them as clear as he possibly can. There's going to be this moment that, that's probably going to last for eternity, right? This moment where, where everything is going to set in. They're going to die. They're going to die in their sins. And then comes reality. They're going to realize very quickly the darkness, right? The darkness, the separation, the horror, the pain that they're in. And it's in this darkness that they're going to cry out for the light, right? Jesus, like, Jesus, where are you? Like, we need you, Jesus. Where, where are you? Nothing. Jesus has warned them every time right here, you're going to die in your sins and you will seek me after. And where is Jesus going to be? In heaven. It's absolutely terrifying and upsetting that they're joking about it. And you just hear the scream of those who will believe too late. 
that moment when they're just like, oh man, those people who even thought, I'll just give my life to Jesus, you know, on my deathbed. And then we don't know when we're going to die. And so there's going to be a moment where they're going to realize it's too late and scream out to Jesus because they do know because we do know who he is and it's going to be too late. And so this screaming and this seeking for Jesus from one person is enough to break my heart. Uh, makes me want to cry. It's so upsetting to me. And that's just one person to think about having to go through this. But what about 660,000 people doing this? 660,000 is the estimated number of those in Bakersfield who today would die in their sins. That's how many people aren't following Jesus that are in sin and will die in their sin and have a moment just like this. And that's just in Bakersfield alone. That's why I always pray, God, save Bakersfield. God, save us. Save this city. That's why, as uncomfortable as it may be, and I know it is, like evangelism has to be like the most toppest priority in our priorities, right? Sharing our faith as individuals, you know, sharing our faith in the workplace, you know, at our schools, wherever it might be. And certainly as a church, this is something we have to work on. We have to hear those cries because, after all, even in the middle of this, Jesus is still saying there's an option. Even in this horrific scene, there's still a promise. In verse 24, it says, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Unless. Right? Unless. Oh, man, what a, what a great word, right? Unless what? That doesn't have to be me. Unless what? Unless you believe. Believe what? That he's the light of the world. That he has that authority. Right? That you believe he has the authority to save you, to forgive your sins, and to direct your life. To be that light that guides you all throughout your life. It takes faith that submits to him. Right? Submits to that authority. Right, Faith that embraces it, not, not just as an idea, but embraces that authority and that hope. We're all going to see Jesus when we die. We're all going to cry out Jesus when we die. In one way, very horrifically. In other ways, like the best possible way. Right, Like after winning a championship and you run up and hug everybody. Right, And so we're going to be screaming Jesus too. <clears throat> In fact, at that point, darkness will never cross our mind again. It won't even be a concept to us anymore. We will have no concept of what darkness is. And so to close, I just want to say two things. First, if you haven't embraced and believed in Jesus, that he has authority to forgive your sins, and you feel convicted right now, you do not want to be in that dark, horrible pain and separation in that moment like, then just let this be today where you decide. Let this be the, the day where you submit to his authority and believe and let Jesus direct the rest of your life. Not just because you're afraid of hell, and yes, you should be afraid of hell, but because Jesus is awesome, right? He is an awesome friend and shepherd and king. Like he, is, he is Lord. He is good. He is forgiving. 
He is worthy to be followed. Life makes sense when you follow Jesus. It's not easy, but it makes sense. Second, praise God that we are no longer in darkness, but that God has granted us the ability to see this light of the world. We are no longer blind. We have seen the light, right? We've seen this light. But let us not trade spiritual blindness for spiritual deafness. Right? We must hear those cries. 660,000 people right, in Bakersfield are going to be crying out. We can't be deaf to that. We can't let it break our hearts. We, we, cannot, we can't be deaf to that, church. And notice in verse 30, despite all that was going on, despite all this challenging and name-calling and mocking and all this stuff, just as we've seen in the past, no matter how bad things are, and everybody is trying to kill Jesus, everybody's walking away. We always have something like this where it says, and many believed, right? In the frustration, in the hard moments, there's still people that are believing, right? And so I believe that there's many in Bakersfield who are going to believe. We just need to be the light to them and share the light with them. Let me pray for them. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope we'll see you soon.